in a world filled with information. Where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! What do you think about money? Do you have positive thoughts or negative ones? On today's show, we're talking about the psychology of money, how your view of it can shape your financial future for better or worse. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. And we welcome you in on live stream and on radio. It is the Get Ready for the Future show. My name is Scott Inman. Glad to have you along. Janet Walker and John Shrewsbury with me in the other room. Good morning to you both. Good Good morning. morning. Glad to have you along for today's show where we're getting kind of deep, I would say. A little bit of psychology involved in this, but I think that's a really important topic because we're not just uh, bloviating here for the next hour talking about how you think about money because there really is an application for you. So I think that when we talk about money and our thoughts about it, it really drives our decisions about money. And that can have consequences or it can have benefits depending on the decisions you make. And hopefully we can help you maybe reshape your idea about money if it needs reshaping. So where do we get our concepts of money? How do we feel about money? I think the first place I think about, guys, is my family. Uh, I think you you certainly are taught that by your mother and father. If you were fortunate enough to grow up in a home with both a mother and a father, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that our um, our faith has a big part in that as well because, you know, you probably heard it said if you uh if you are if you're a christian and you read the bible it is one of the most talked about subjects in the bible and yeah. often misquoted and often misquoted it, it, we're, we're kind of jumping off in that with first timothy six ten because people have probably heard it the love of money is the root of all evil now that gets really chopped up yes. and people just say the love of money is the root of all evil. Or money yeah money is the root of all evil and money is just an object. It is just an exchange of, of goods and services, a method by which you exchange goods and services. And and really, money is an inanimate object. It does yeah. not have, there is no good or evil to it. It is really what you make of it. And I think that's really what the Bible is trying to say here, that the love of money is the root of all evil. If you're greedy, if you covet money, then that's going to create uh, an evil spirit, if you will. I think it basically comes down, when people are in that mindset, it comes down to a power thing. You know, money in their minds equals power, where really, it should just be a tool. It should be a tool that you you utilize to be more of who you already are. If you're a person who's, who's giving and charitable, then that's probably what you're going to do with a significant portion of your money. And frankly, you know, when you think about how many hours a week you work, it's not so you can have more money for most of you. It is ultimately so you can have more money so you can provide for your family. So the end goal is the provision for people you love, not the money itself. I really feel like there are studies out there say that number one, the number one cause of divorce is money, right? Is, yeah, is, yeah, is a fight absolutely. Over, over money and your view of it. And, and, and I think about uh, what was portrayed 
in front of me as I grew up, and, and my parents never really talked too much about any money problems in front of me. And I think that had pretty pretty good value, especially early on in my life, because I didn't see any bad side. I also didn't want for anything, so you could also kind of go the other way there and think about uh, think about learning the the, uh, the value of money uh, might be might might have needed to be impressed upon me at a little bit different level. But I think about in my with my family now and my kids. I do probably, I mean, I wear everything on my sleeve anyway. I don't keep anything from them. So if something's stressing me about money, I tend to talk about it in front of them. And I, and I don't know how valuable that is. I, I think it depends on how you convey it. it go yeah, ahead, I, I was going to say, it, it does depend on how you convey it. If, if money stress equals stress to the children yeah and if that that uh is a catalyst for stress in your family uh in the familial relationship not just the money relationship but in the family relationship then that's a problem but but to be honest about hey this we we have a difficulty here or we can't spend this right now on this or whatever that that is i think very direct and very honest and and i think that for the most part honesty is the best policy i I think it's the educational element versus the emotional burden of it and Mm. and that's a big difference in how you communicate with your kids i i was talking with a friend recently that um we have a, a mutual friend who's just really not ever gotten to the point where money was a tool to use but money has been a burden to bear in in every aspect of their adult life and i just i hate to see people in that situation it doesn't have to be that way psychologically Uh, and a lot of it comes back to what you learned growing up whether it was right or wrong and you know there are some things that you could debate whether there is a right or wrong it's just an opinion or a different way to do things but it money should not be a a burden to bear for you if and what i always come back to guys is when you think about let's go back to scripture for just a minute the wisest man who ever lived was king solomon he also was the wealthiest man who ever lived. And that tells me that there's not a problem with wealth. It is a question of what do you do with it? How do you utilize it? And how you think about it. Let me, let yeah. me pose this question to you guys. Is there a shortage of money? No. I don't Scott? think so. No, there, there really not. isn't. But how many people labor under the false sense that money is scarce and they, yeah. they, 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 that it's just out of reach to them. And it is really a, a mindset uh, thing that people get into, a scarcity mentality, and they live that way. And, and because they live that way, they believe that way yeah. and behave that way. If you were raised thinking that you were a financial burden to your family, then things in your life are going to be a financial burden. Think of money, and, and this is an analogy I really like, as a shovel or a foot. A shovel or a foot can be lethal. It could be bad. It could have negative consequences, but it could also be very valuable for sure. It can accomplish things for you. It can get you from point A to point B in the case of a foot. It can dig a hole if it's a shovel. So money's the same way. It can be lethal if it is used with ill intent, but money in and of itself is certainly not evil. Just it is simply a resource and access to it can't fundamentally change you it can only give you the opportunity to be who you already are and do be and give more than you can without it and it goes back to how you spend it and how you choose to uh, purpose it drive it 
I think let's look at the flip side of this too. You know, there's all kinds of song lyrics that are either this line or close to it. Of money can't buy you happiness. You know, there's all kinds of music out there along those lines, and we've seen that play out. You know, how many people in Hollywood or in the music industry they're wealthy as can be, but they're not happy realize that if money itself is your target, it's not going to bring you happiness. Again, you have to look at it as a tool, and what is that tool going to help you achieve? Scott, it's interesting that, uh, as you were saying about, uh, you know, money is, is is an object, it's a tool, but I also have discussions with clients from time to time about financial products, and Mm -hmm. they will come in and they go, well, I heard XYZ product was bad. Well, there is no good or bad product. Now, a product could have good or bad characteristics, but in most cases, it is how that product is used. Right. You can take one of the most effective products in the world and misuse it, and it can do harm to someone. Or you can take one of the least effective products and use it in the right way, and it could actually benefit someone. And so I think we prescribe characteristics or personalities to things like money and financial products, but it really boils down to how it is used and how it is implemented in your life and in your financial plan. Yeah, and I think when people don't accumulate wealth for retirement, they are ignoring the need that they are going to have too. It's not just about living this fabulous life that I think a lot of people think about retirement. If I'm going to save all that money, it's about having all this money to do things with, but there's a need to be prepared. Uh, for the day that you can no longer work. So there's there's a value there uh, in accumulating wealth as well. So for the love of finance, is money the root of all evil? That's the question we're asking. I think we've already answered it in this first break, but we're going to dive in a little deeper after the break. So stay with us. The Get Ready for the Future show is just getting started. We're back in just a moment. Always enjoy getting your comments. If you're watching on our live stream today on Facebook or YouTube, feel free to chime in with your thoughts about money. What are your thoughts about it, and how do you view it, and how have you seen that in your life affect uh, affect your financial future, for better or worse? It can make a big deal when it comes to planning for retirement, to accumulating wealth, and we're talking about it today and we mentioned for the love of finance, we, we would be remiss if we didn't say that it is Valentine's Day weekend. And that's kind of part of the uh, the thrust behind the love portion uh, when it comes to money. But you can't buy me love, right, too? The Beatles said it best. Tell me what you want. The kind of things that money just can't buy. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. And, and that, I think, is good, too. I think the mentality in America, too, is earn, spend, repeat. Cash flow in cash flow out, buy things, buy things, buy things as if that's going to achieve happiness. And I think that's where the love of money can be a pretty lethal thing. Well, we all grew up in the 80s, you know, and and that was the decade of decadence. Mm. It it really was. It was like you grew up in the 80s. I did. Oh, okay. Well, sort of. I was I was right. I was coming right. out of up my is over a range of decades. It took you a little longer to grow up than it did me. I, guess. I was coming out of my teens in the eighties. So, but but we all became aware of of money and personal finance and yeah. that type of thing in the eighties. And you know the theme of the eighties was the guy who dies with the most toys wins. Mm. And so that was kind of the got in our blood in the eighties, and we still do that today to some degree. But I, I think that that we a lot, a lot of of us have learned that it just doesn't matter, you know, how much stuff you got. Uh, you can only say grace over so many things, you know. I think I had a different 80s decade than he had. 
<laughs> there, were, there was nothing decadent about uh, living on the farm or That's you know. probably true where you came yeah from. i mean That's seriously I, I think i think part of it is a stage of life like for you you were really you talked about coming out of your scenes but frankly you were entering adulthood yes and so you had in the 80s the freedom to make decisions with your personal cash flow that's right where scott and i were still under you know the the reins of mom and dad as far as cash flow is concerned and so i do think that's that's a time in life regardless of when that decade occurs for you where it's like i got money for the first time and i can go buy x whatever it is i think about the 80s as being the the decade that as america is concerned contentment went out the window you know it just totally yeah, went out the window and I can see that. and you know more was better and i think we've learned over the years that more is not better i know that that i don't need another car i don't need another house i don't need another nothing i have got all i can say grace over and all i can keep up with uh but you know that that desire to have more and better and keep up with the joneses and everything still goes on today and and i think though it is rooted in that attitude of the 1980s well and i I think too think about how that happened the 1980s was the onset of cable television yeah more and more media in your face 24 7 that's when it started so janet when you talk about us being under mom and dad yes but it got into our vision and our mindset Mm -hmm. that you need stuff right and it continues today how often do you see an ad that says you deserve X, Y, Z, right? But, and I always irritate. I get so irritated when I hear the word. <laughs> I do not deserve anything. I, I, I've got to work for it. And if I choose to buy it, great. But you, you're telling me that I deserve something doesn't make sense. It doesn't resonate with me. I, I deserve the right to earn my financial independence by saying no to the items you're putting in front of exactly. me to buy all the time, you know? Well, and I think this really goes to the heart of what we do as a company, guys, yeah. uh, because I think that that the accumulation of wealth or things or whatever the case may be without a purpose, without a plan really is a fruitless endeavor. Uh, You just don't get anywhere. But if you have vision and goals and dreams and things that you want to accomplish, there's nothing wrong with doing that. You just have to do it in a, in a constructive way. And I think that planning really does afford you that opportunity to do that. I think it's important when you say it can't buy me love, money can buy you independence. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and and I think the important thing here is, is first shifting your mindset from cash flow in, cash flow out. If you're uh, early on in your work career, this is very important to set in place a savings rate now and plan to increase that over time. Now, you've heard the, the you've heard the uh, phrase pay yourself first. I think that's very important because I think the mindset of buying myself love with money or or basically just filling the holes in my life by buying things it pushes the savings rate to the last thing and the savings rate needs to be much early on in that much earlier on in that process you know guys we've seen over the years that when when the economy is bad like for a prolonged period of time not like last march for a shorter period of time and then it rebounded but when we have times where the markets are down the economy is is scary for people like in 2008 what happens to our savings rate as a nation our mm-hmm. savings rate went up which tells us if we can do that in the bad times when people are losing jobs and you know they went into it with a significant amount of debt but they got serious and they started paying 
paying down debt and saving money, if we can make it a priority in the bad times, then we believe you can make it a priority in the good times. And what that gives you in the future is more good times. Guys, I think one of the most precious uh, words in the English language is independence. Mm-hmm. And I think what people really do crave is independence. And they think mm-hmm. that somehow buying stuff is going to give them independence when most of the time buying stuff makes you dependent. It, it really does make you dependent on whatever job it is to pay off that stuff. And and we talk to our team all the time about having a plan for their own financial independence. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be filthy, rich, wealthy, whatever the case may be, you know, uh, Warren Buffett wealth, but it does mean to be in a situation where you have options regardless of what happens in your life. I, I was raised under the, the, the kind of the theme, if you will, of don't ever allow somebody to put their thumb on you and control you for the, for the remainder of your life. When you think about it, debt does that. You know, because yeah. clearly the Bible says the borrower's slave to the lender. And if you don't think so, just go out and get you a bunch of debt and watch what happens. Yeah. And so, you know, now I'm not saying that all debt is bad or anything of that nature, but if you truly want to be independent, you've got to channel your finances in such a way that allow you to be independent. I think it's important, guys, to, to give purpose to your dollars. You know, it, it's really pretty nebulous when you start putting money into your 401k. You know, it, depending on the age at which you put it in, it's, it's maybe very early compared to when you're going to retire. So what's the purpose? of that. And it's really easy to get distracted by all of the details about the investments. But frankly, what you're doing is putting money in so that later on you can have an income stream. It is not really about how much money is in the account. It's about how much income you can have in retirement. And some of that might be from Social Security. Some of it might be pension income. Some of it probably needs to come from the investments that you've had over the years. And guys, when we we talk about money can't buy you happiness, but let's talk about the difference in happiness between an income that you have in retirement and taking from a lump sum. So let's say you've had your, your 401k, you've built up, you know, whatever your amount of money is, you built up a half million dollars in your 401k psychologically, and there have been studies done on this by the American College of Financial Services, and they say psychologically it is it, it makes people way happier to have an income stream that they know is going to come to them every month than to just withdraw. So if that $500,000, if you just take out $25,000 lump sum, you're going to feel pretty sick at your stomach, frankly, because you don't have a way to replenish this now that you're in retirement. But if you're taking out a couple of thousand dollars a month and you've got that income stream that you know is going to be there throughout retirement, mathematically, those numbers are really the same amount of money. But when you talk about the impact on your happiness, they have measured it and it makes a difference. You have to plan for that. Scott, this is just in case retirement. You know, people live just in case retirements because they say, I'm not going to take any more money out of my 401k plan than I need to just in case something happens. And they live that just-in-case retirement and then die with a bunch of money in their 401k, and they never have gone and done the things that they would enjoy doing, like going and playing golf and taking trips and things of that nature. So what do they do? They leave all that money to their kids, and then the kids go do all the all stuff those that, things. that 
they thought that they wanted to do in their retirement. They're living up their parents' retirement. Guys, I, I saw this in an appointment this week, and in one of the most clear ways that clear, one of the clearest ways that I've ever seen it in an appointment. This gentleman came in and had his plan for retirement, and and looked at us and said, "Tell me why it won't work." Like he really wanted us to tell him why this plan wouldn't work. Well. It was a plan of, I'm going to set this money aside. It's going to earn up to 4% interest because of, of where he works. He has the ability to do that. And when I want to take a vacation or when I need to buy a car, I'll pull some money out of it. And that was it. That was the plan. Now, could he have done that? Yes. But what we did in this process is we went through and showed him a way to get a guaranteed stream of income and to have money left over for the next generation when they're gone. And and we talked about how different that feels to know, okay, I don't have to worry about like, can we take a vacation because we took money out last year for this? Can we take out money this year for, for that? Don't have to worry about it. It's going to come to you. And, and he just didn't know that that was an option. And I think that that's what we see a lot of times, guys, is that people have accumulated money and they know how to do that. Just keep putting money in and you'll you'll get a bigger amount by the time you retire. But how do you take money out? And that's really what we're here to help you do. Yeah, there is a study and it, I believe it came from over in England. I'm trying to dredge up, you know, dead brain cells here to, to <laughs> remember all of this. But I believe the study was done in England. It was reported in Time magazine uh, not too long ago that the the secret to a happy retirement was having some money, having a lump sum of money, but also having a regular, predictable, dependable amount of income coming in, regardless of what might happen. And you know what? That's what we do here at Gen Wealth Financial Advisors. We help you to plan for that regular, predictable income that's going to cover all your bases as far as your essential expenses are concerned, and then invest on the money that you don't need for those, you know, regular predictable expenses. And then you can grow that money and use that money at your discretion. That really is uh, part and parcel, the income for life model and the gen wealth ready to retire process. We said at the beginning of the segment that money can't buy you love, but it can buy you independence. So how do you know when you're financially independent or how can you even define that without building a plan? And you can do that by calling 501-653-7355. Again, 501-653-7355 to set up your complimentary first appointment with a Gen Wealth Financial Advisor. We're halfway home on the Get Ready for the Future show. We'll continue next. It's one of the most often misquoted verses in the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself, but the love of money. We're talking today, is money the root of all evil? Money is neutral. It can be just as useful or as lethal as a shovel or a foot. And how you view it can really have a good impact or a negative impact on your financial future. Money can't buy you love, but it can buy you independence. And that's what we help our clients achieve every day by building retirement income plans at Gen Wealth, And we mentioned the phone number before the uh, break that you could call and set up your first complimentary appointment with a Gen Wealth financial advisor in one of our offices, either in Conway, West Little Rock, Bryant, Hot Springs, El Dorado, or Northwest Louisiana. If you're not ready to take that step, there's another resource available 
for you as well. You can gain a little perspective with a manifesto for your life, your worth, and what happens next. Just visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash plan if you'd like a little bit more information about our views and some things to consider when you're trying to achieve financial independence. Well, I wanted to bring this up too, because John, you said in the first segment, something that kind of resonated with me too. You talked about how some people think there's that investment product. There's that magic bullet. And I think right. that really stems from a problem with psychology about thinking about money too. It's the get rich quick thing, right? I mean, you know, how many people were all over GameStop recently, the Bitcoin talk, all that stuff is yeah. like, as if there's one path that's going to accumulate a huge account value. And I think changing your perspective on how you think about money also helps you to focus less on a rate of return that achieves some huge pile of, of money in an account balance. And what does that even mean to outcome-driven planning? Because that's really what you're trying to achieve here. The purpose of accumulating wealth is what you want to do with it, not how big the pile is, right? Well, yeah, and I think that everybody's got to realize that we're not playing Wheel of Fortune here. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're going to spin the wheel, and if your number comes up, then boom, you've made it. Or if you just happen to be at the right place at the right time and pick the right investment to be in at just the right moment, then you're off to the races. Those things get highlighted yeah. and hyped in the media but that's not how real wealth is built in this country, by and large. Real wealth is built slowly in this country. Slow and steady wins the race. For the most part, people who build real wealth have uh, something other than a job. They have, uh, they're self-employed in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and they are diligent about their investing, and they're very purpose-driven in their planning. And, and that is really, I think, the secret to financial independence, not picking that special product or whatever the case may be. Janet, you've got that special mutual fund. I know <laughs> that you just are holding back for those select few clients that come to see you that have the magic words, you're, right? You're baiting me for a story there, John. I, I know <laughs> what that is. Yeah. So, uh, so true story. Um, we had a, a gentleman come in years ago who, uh, who was absolutely convinced that he could get a, what he called a 12% mutual fund, meaning it was going to do 12% at least every single year that he owned it. And I understand where the, the thought process came from. It was, uh, through some educational information he had, uh, had shared with him previously, but, we talked and talked and talked about it, and he just didn't realize that there there really was no such thing. So I said, okay, hang on just a minute. I'm going to switch hats. I'm not a financial advisor. I've just switched careers. I am a zookeeper, okay? <laughs> and you are a guest at my zoo. And I have an actual, real, live unicorn. Okay, if I'm running this zoo... Would I put that unicorn way back at the far corner of the zoo where you could not get to see it very easily? Or would I tell the entire world about it and have it really in an easily accessible place so that everybody would come and pay to see my unicorn at the zoo? And he goes, well, you'd put it right up front for everybody. You'd want everybody to see the unicorn because it would be amazing. Exactly. <laughs> Unicorns and 12% mutual funds, they're the same thing. They don't exist. Now, can you have a mutual fund that will periodically return 12% or even more? Absolutely. But not every single year. They don't exist. 
Yeah, and that is so much uh, driven by what I'm just going to call media hype. You said it was educational information. It is. It's media hype, in in my opinion, because there. You know what gets the attention on CNBC? The the stock that went to four hundred dollars a share from twelve dollars a share. You know uh, this to be to be perfectly transparent. This was from Dave Ramsey, and I understand. I understand why Dave promoted that way back in the day, but it took them a long time to update their their numbers. And and life has changed. And Chris Hogan, who works with Dave, will now talk about you know ten percent is a good average, but he's also clear to say as an average yeah. for yes. your planning for your long-term money not that it's going to happen every single year so here's what happens with that somebody gets into a perfectly good mutual fund and it doesn't do 12 percent, and they switch mm-hmm. and by the way they've already paid the cost to right. get into it so now they're going to come out and they're going to pay costs to get into another mutual fund that guess what it's probably not going to do 12 percent that year you know and, and then Two or three years into that, they go, well, this crap just doesn't work. I'm done. You know, I'm going to go put my money in the backyard or I'm going to go buy gold or whatever. And it is all about that striving for this illicit, this elusive 12% yeah. return that they're really, you know, occasionally going to get, but most of the time not. Since I mentioned Dave, uh, I'll, I'll give him credit on something. His, his favorite book, and he'll tell you this all the time, it's actually, if you ever watch his radio show, it's on the bookshelf behind him. His favorite book is The Tortoise and the Hare. And he said, you know what? Every time I read it, every single time I read it, the tortoise wins. And wealth is a slow mm-hmm. process. If you approach this like the hare in the story, you're not going to win the game of, of wealth accumulation. And exactly. again, it's not wealth accumulation just for the purpose of accumulating wealth. It's wealth accumulation to buy your independence and dignity in retirement. Do you, do you guys notice how often we use the word wealth rather than rich? I, yeah. I, I think that's an interesting concept, too, because the get rich quick, I said that earlier, that that's the mentality. But rich, what does that really mean? It does seem like it's not a very positive term. Wealth is what we're trying to build, and that's the slow cooker. Rich, rich yeah. is the microwave that's not reality. And rich really doesn't bring happiness anyway. A Princeton study shows that, and this is more about income than investments, shows that up until an income of about $75,000 annual salary or annual income, money can be responsible for slightly increasing feelings of happiness well the reason for that you know a certain amount of money can certainly fix problems right i mean money does fix problems but once you exceed that the same study found that after reaching an income of about seventy-five thousand dollars, there's no relationship between income and happiness so once you've got your basic needs met or said another way you can fix your problems yes anything above and beyond really doesn't make you happier i think i find that very insightful you know Go ahead, John. I was just going to say that, you know, I grew up in the era of cartoons on TV, and there was a cartoon character named Richie Rich. Yep. Yep. And, you know, he had money sticking out of all the pockets and all that type of thing. And that's that's the image that that word rich brings up in my mind is that uh, this guy's got money to throw around and it just doesn't matter and all of that. And nothing could be further from the truth if you are wealthy, you don't necessarily have money to throw around. You have money to fulfill your purpose. Well, I think also for people who are, Scott, maybe not at that income level, like you were talking about, that $75,000 marker is kind of a, a 
a range where things change emotionally for how you feel about money. And one of the things I've realized recently is how much people resent people who make more money than they do Mm. um, if they're below that threshold. And, you know, I'm sorry, but resentment's not going to help you get above it. You know, if you take every opportunity you can. But I had a conversation about this with a, a very close friend of mine. They were talking about somebody who made, you know, it was low six figures. And I and I looked at them and I said, because they were being very critical of this person just about the amount of money that they made. And I said, you know, I'm I'm in that that range. And they said, well, I know, but but you give and you're kind and you, you know, and all this stuff. And I said, so do you know that this person doesn't give? And that they're not kind because they don't even know them personally. It's just like, you know, somebody across the country that is well known. And and it just kind of hit him after a while. It's like, oh, he might be a good person like you are. But we then we talked about, like, how do you feel about other people? Don't don't let how much money they make or don't make either way impact how you feel about people you make what you make if you need to make more figure out how and there are ways to do it i think it's important to point out that you know again that difference between your purpose and fulfilling an outcome with your accumulated wealth rather than just trying to get rich quick as we said earlier at gen wealth our mission is to provide wise knowledgeable counsel through trusted advisors in order for our clients to realize their God-given financial purpose in their lives, and to assist them in leaving a legacy for generations to come. We haven't really touched on that legacy part, but you know, I've, I've had the great opportunity and am most fulfilled, quite frankly, when I can help put together a plan that can fulfill those purposes that include maybe a legacy. I, I, I remember early on uh, at Gen Wealth getting to sit down with a single a lady who was about 65 years old and ready to retire, and she had accumulated enough wealth to get more than enough income for her than what she wanted to do in retirement. And we set all of that up, and she began drawing her income. But the main concern she had, or the main purpose that she wanted to accomplish in building that retirement income plan was that she had worked at UALR for much of her career and had really had grown fond of the idea of funding students tuition with scholarship and she had already been contributing in her pre-retirement years to building that scholarship fund but she wanted it to be larger in a legacy gift that she left behind after she passed away and we were able to include that in her retirement income plan too to know that at the end of her life whenever that may be if it's 80 or if it's 85 or it's 90 years old that there's money there to basically endow a scholarship fund that will allow many many students over the course of the future uh, go to school. You know, I just think that completely underscores everything that we've been talking about, that she found something she was passionate about. It is a good purpose, and now she's using money to to fund that purpose. I, I've never seen anybody's casket be lined with dollar bills. You, you can't, can't take, take it, it with you. You cannot take it with you. Uh, leave it for someone or something like this lady did, or your family, or whatever the case may be, fulfill a bigger purpose with your wealth gain a little more perspective with a manifesto for your life your worth and what happens next all you have to do is visit getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash plan and we're back on the show right after this for the love of finance on this valentine's day weekend we're asking the question is money the root of all evil and we have been spending our show 
proving that it is not. The love of money, as the Bible says, is the root of all evil. It makes a lousy God, but it is a neutral object, and it can do many things for you that are good in your life. It all comes down to the purpose of your financial future. What do you want to accomplish? Why are you accumulating wealth? And putting those things in perspective and getting the psychology away from the emotion of either getting rich and and locking into some fantasy investment that's going to get you there or having the feeling that you're defeatist and you're never going to get there. It can definitely help when you think about what money can do for you from a positive perspective. And as we wrap things up, you know, we talked about uh, your purpose being, might be giving a le- uh, leaving a legacy or it might be just getting enough income uh, produced in your retirement so that if you needed long-term care, that you're not a burden on your kids. You know, that's a big thing for people as well. Whatever it is for you, I think the point is you don't know if you're financially independent without building a plan that revolves around income. Scott, I, I think that, that oftentimes people hesitate to come in and sit down and talk about a plan because they think it's boring. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the wrong mindset. A plan is the physical man, uh, physical manifestation of your excitement. It is actually putting your thoughts on paper and giving you a method by which you execute those thoughts to achieve the goals that you have. And that's really what planning really does involve. It's nothing, it is anything but boring. It really is exciting to, to see the progress that you make on a uh, quarter to quarter month to month, year to year, however often you take your plan out and look at it, right. you you really are uh, giving yourself a treat to see how you're progressing toward your goals. And so I would just encourage people to not think about planning as something that is just boring. We're not going to talk about things like uh, beta and sharp ratio and all of that all type of thing. All the industry jargon. That's not going to happen here. We're going to talk about you and your life and the things that you want to do and the time frame in which you want to do those and how we can use your wealth to actually make those things happen. I think it's important when you point out those other financial jargon terms there that you know, a lot of people who do have a financial advisor may think they have a plan, but what they have is a few accounts, maybe. You know, I think about sitting with a couple recently that brought in everything they had. It was in one account and was managed, and they brought a book in. But inside of that stack of papers, there was no plan on how to make withdrawals in retirement. How were they going to turn what they had accumulated and invested into a stream of income? And I think, John, you know, so many people, I think financial advisors many times are like the general practice physician, right? You, mm-hmm. you go to them when you don't really know what your problem is, and they have kind of thoughts generally about things. But when you figure out what the problem is, you need a specialist. That's right. You've got to have a specialist that, that focuses in on your particular situation. Scott, that client that you were talking about, what they had was a stack of papers that was really backward looking. It was telling them what had already happened in their plan. Mm -hmm. It wasn't forward-looking and telling them these are the things that you need to do to be sure that you arrive at the destination that you're wanting to go. It was simply a report that basically said, here's all the transactions that happened in your account ever since we got started. And, and that does you no good if you do not understand 
what the forward-looking thing is. It's like we talk about in terms of past performance on on any kind of investment. Uh, relying on that, Janet, mm-hmm. is like looking in the rearview mirror as you're driving 80 miles an hour, or maybe less if uh, you're <laughs> needing to stay under the speed limit. But anyway, down the yeah. interstate and looking in your rearview mirror, never looking out the windshield. Yeah, so if you think about if you're sitting there wondering, do I have a plan or do I have products? I mean, these people thought they had a plan, but they didn't really. So what are some questions you can ask yourself to determine whether what you have is an actual plan or not? Number one, like John said, it does need to be forward looking. So if you're five to 10 years out from retirement and you have not seen an income plan, not just, hey, this thing over here pays a dividend and you'll get a check from that and blah, 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 but an income plan that looks at your social security, your spouse's social security if you're married. If you're divorced or widowed, we can look at benefits that would come into play from from that as well. It might not be your own personal benefit for a period of time. There are 86 different ways to claim social security. If that's not in your plan, you probably have a stack of investments. And then to be able to show you years down the road how you're going to get raises in retirement at what point is that going to occur so if you don't have a clear for us guys to the dollar picture of what your income is going to be every month in retirement you don't have a retirement income plan you have a collection of investments Scott, I have got a client that I just recently worked with. He is not the wealthiest client that we've got at GenWealth by any stretch of the imagination, but he's got a lot of stuff going on in his plan. There's a lot of complexity there. And our job with him is to obviously manage the investments, but also to manage the complexity. And and many times, you know, people have four or five, maybe even six or seven different income sources related to their retirement. Now, that sounds like a lot, but there may not be a lot of money associated with each one of those. But coordinating all those and being sure that you understand the tax implications and the timing of it and when to use what asset and all of that, that is a huge part of the planning process that, frankly, most people just don't know anything about. You talk about that specialist versus a generalist. Well, if you even, uh, you know, go further in that uh, that analogy and go really almost somebody that doesn't know anything about it, that's a do it yourselfer. Mm there is no way they're going to be able to really work through all the complexity that we work through in a financial plan simply because we do it all day, every day. Well, and and guys, things change. I mean, last year there were, there were things that came out at the end of 2019. And then because of COVID, even more changes that came out in 2020. And we were on top of that immediately because this is what we do all day every day retirement income is our area of expertise what is it that you do for a living i guarantee you whatever it is i couldn't go do your job because that's not my my area of expertise you've got to be able to work with somebody who can go you know what we've walked this road before let me tell you about some bumps that are going to be along the way but we can plan for those i think if you have a negative view of money and i think that's really kind of a large theme that's run throughout this show today that can preclude you or prevent you from doing what you need to do to get a plan in place to make sure you're going to be okay and you're not going to run out of money in retirement because i think that maybe stops people from coming in to see an advisor who's going to build them a retirement income plan is that negative view of money or that private view of money you got to get over that i think you have to get over that and come in and put your cards on the table so to speak and let's figure it out 
Yeah, there's there's no downside to that. It's not like somebody's going to know something or go tell somebody. Privacy is a huge deal yeah. here at Gen Wealth. We, but, but we have the, like the financial version of HIPAA. You you want to talk about that for just? Oh a yeah, minute? absolutely. Uh, we we have a privacy policy that that uh, we abide by, and there are uh, the, you know there are places that you go and do business with, and frankly, a lot of these are these things that tell you that it's free. Nothing is free. Hear me. Nothing in the financial industry is free. I see ads on TV all the time about, oh, no commission trading. How is that company making money? They're making money in one way by selling your personal information. And you don't really know that they're selling your personal information because you click the box that says agree to our po- policies and what that have you. That you didn't read. That you did not read. And they have the ability to sell data. And now it's not necessarily specific to you, but it is the data that they are selling to data companies that let you know or let them know all about what's going on in your yeah. world. And so nothing is free. You've got to understand that, that there is no free lunch at this, but it is important that that you step into it with your eyes wide open and do the things that are necessary to get you down that road to financial independence. You said the planning could be, or many people see it, John, as, as boring. I, I think when you share your needs and desires, I, th- I think that can be very therapeutic for you if you've yeah. never done it before. And then we share our principles and strategies. And after that, your team of advisors goes to work building your retirement income plan. There's the bell. And that means it is time once again for our final thoughts as we wrap up another Get Ready for the Future show. Janet, we'll start with you. So the question that we've talked about today, is money the root of all evil? And we would remind you that that is very often misquoted. It is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So money is a tool, and you can use it wisely um, as you approach retirement, as you go through retirement, frankly, in any phase of life. Remember to look at it as a tool that is there to move you forward in life, not something that you need to bow down and worship, because that's when you start getting into a problem. Scott, Janet mentioned uh, the, the misconception about money. Don't allow a misconception about money to freeze you out of one of the greatest opportunities you have in these United States. And that is really having the opportunity to pursue financial independence. Financial independence is something that not everybody is going to achieve, but everybody has the opportunity to achieve financial independence. And it looks different uh, to different folks. You've got to come in and sit down and get a plan for your financial independence, figure out what that is, and then work like crazy to get there because independence is what it's really all about. How you view money affects the decisions you make about it during your lifetime, and it can impact your financial future either negatively or positively. So it's up to you to reshape your view so that you can have a positive impact on your financial future. And feeling secure about your future starts with how you see your future. You can gain a little more perspective with a manifesto for your life, your worth, and what happens next. How do you get it? Just go to our website, getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash plan. Again, it's getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash plan. Well, we're out of time for the Get Ready for the Future show on this morning. We hope you'll join us again next week. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. 
If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 501 653 7355. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Gen Wealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC.